So hello and welcome back to the Indivisible DFW podcast. Um, I'm Jay Malone, I'm your host, and uh, we're excited to be back in City Hall today. Uh, we, uh, we came here last week uh, for the, um, uh, to deliver petitions to uh, Mayor Rawlings. Um, a lot of citizens are opposed to the Scion Hotel project uh, that is being discussed downtown. And uh, when we were there, we actually met with uh, Councilman uh, Philip Kingston who was at the press conference and talked about why he was opposed to the Scion Hotel project, why he thought it was a bad idea uh, to, uh, to build a Trump brand uh, in downtown Dallas. And we asked him if we could sit down and talk to him. So we're here right now with Philip. Philip, thanks for sitting down with us today. Glad to. So I think that that's, a, that's probably a good place to start. Um, when you look at um, a project like the Scion Hotel project, um, why do you think that, I mean, not necessarily something that the city itself is going to oppose, but it's a bad thing for Dallas? The president is simply a, a bad brand. I mean, I think more people dislike him than not. And um, you got a couple of issues here. One, the president is a very bad brand. Um, he, you know, he's, he's a negative person. He attacks um, my, uh, my profession legal services. He, you know, he attacks the sanctity of, of the judiciary. Um, he attacks the rule of law. He disregards the civil rights of, of Americans and of others uh, who, would, who would want to visit our country. It's very odd for him to be in the hospitality industry at all because he is the most inhospitable person one could imagine. There's another problem with this. The, <clears throat> the developer that the president apparently has been working with raises money from our enemies, um, from nations that very much would seek to do us harm, and have. I mean, not, it's not theoretical. They, they have tried to harm us. And um, so for the president to be making money from our enemies, and then he's the chief foreign policy officer of the United States, it's a, it is a mind-boggling conflict of interest. It's, it's horrifying. So I think this is... It's something that's interesting to talk about is cities right now, um, a lot of the economic activity in this country, the majority of the economic activity comes out of our cities. Um, and our cities tend to be um, opposed to the Trump agenda, um, the leadership of our cities. So what are some things that cities can do to push back against the Trump agenda? Well, you know, unlike the president, we have to obey the rule of law. So if the guy comes and applies for a permit and he qualifies for it. It's not like we're going to ask our city employees to break the law by not issuing a permit. Um, you know, I think our behavior needs to stand as a contrast to what the president does. Um, but cities are basically the only place where progressive ideas have a hope of surviving. Um, Congress is utterly broken. Um, it is an, you know, it's, it's an absolute um, pack of rascals up there. It's just, you know, it's ridiculous. Um, the state legislature is one of the most depressing places I've ever been in my life. Um, and so cities is where it's at. I mean, before the last multinational um, climate change talks in Paris, the, the French government 
tried to tamp down expectations for any kind of broad agreement because they, they essentially said it's impossible. It is impossible to get a multilateral agreement on climate change. And they started reaching out to city level officials all over the world to try to get some local level change. And that is somewhat working. We're trying to clean up the air in Dallas. Um, and it's, the problem is, is the scope of our powers is limited. You know, I can't change um, federal air quality regulations. I can advocate to change them, but I'm not in that seat. You know, I need an activist EPA that is using science to determine what the right, um, what the healthy level of ozone is in cities' air. Um, and I need them to then give me enforcement mechanisms to go require the, the concrete plants and the, uh, the coal-fired power plants just outside the city limits to clean up their operations because, you know, I'm, I'm in a city. Um, I suffer disproportionately from the activities of neighboring cities and from uh, rural areas where some of these bad... Uh, emitters are cited, and uh, I've, I've got to have some federal help in order to be really effective. So as, you know, long-winded answer to your question, we're, it, as cities, we're really going to try to push back against the Trump agenda, um, but we have, you know, we're limited by the scope of our power. So one person who's trying to further limit the scope of that power is uh, Governor Greg Abbott. Um, he has been speaking a lot about state supremacy recently, taking powers away from the cities. Um, so, you know, what what is something that the, the cities can do to push back against that type of mentality? Well, all cities are banded together um, under the banner of, of Texas Municipal League with a strong um, emphasis on self-determination and home rule authority. Used to be um, that Republicans in the state legislature, I heard this from Lee Jackson, who used to be in the state legislature as our former county judge, um, just recently retired from the University of North Texas um, and was a terrific public servant, guy I really respect. He said that congr uh, legislative Republicans in Texas used to have the theory that they were not going to try to regulate cities because they, they didn't want to pay for it. They were, you know, they weren't going to send cities any money, so they weren't going to put any regulations on them. And that's really what, uh, and that's that's the that's sort of the public policy, the, the ideology that has gotten broken in the Republican Party. It used to be there was this, you know, grand notion that they were for small government, including local control and lack of regulation, and you know. I would say that the governor's statements are driven by a desire to fend off um, attacks from the right. I mean, the governor's basically speaking out of fear of losing his job. And he's, pan he's pandering to a group of Texans that, you know, you, you want to love all people. I, you know, <laughs> I, think, I think that's a kind of a basic rule that we should all try to follow. But it, it's really, really difficult to love Texas Republicans these days. It's very hard. They are so hate-filled and so afraid. You know, I just, 
it's hard to know what to say to them. But um, the good news about the governor is that he's almost totally powerless. Um, last session in 2015, uh, my friend Eric Johnson got a full-day pre-K bill introduced in the House. And it looked like it had some traction. The governor said some nice things about it. And then halfway through that process, the governor introduced his own legislation um, and moved it down to a half-day pre-K, which there's some evidence to suggest that half-day pre-K can be worse than no pre-K at all. Um, it, it, it was a really, really bad deal. Um, and in that process, a bunch of Republicans that had been supporting Eric Johnson's bill got really burned by the governor. So what I am hearing out of the legislature this session is that the governor has lost all credibility with House Republicans. And so he basically is powerless this session. He is a lot of talk and, and no action. Unfortunately, what that means is that devolves power to Dan Patrick in the Senate. Dan Patrick is by far the most powerful politician in Texas today. Even, I would say even more so than our senators. Because Congress is so broken, they have less effect. Dan Patrick is extremely effective. The only thing standing in his way is Joe Strauss. And here's one Texas Republican I can love. That guy is saving us from the worst ideas, from the worst political sewer I've seen in my lifetime. Do you think that uh, Strauss and the House will be able to uh, push back on the, the Senate uh, budget that just uh, passed through last, uh, last week? I don't know the answer to that one. Um, budget is very difficult. Um, I talked to um, Morgan Meyer, uh, who's the District 108 rep. He's my rep. Um, he's carrying a bill for me that I'm pretty excited about. Um, and he's on uh, public education and they, that committee actually passed out a pretty good budget proposal for public education, and the Senate's version of the budget would absolutely gut it. Um, so he's, he's not happy. You know, there is some, there, there is, there is a, the, the Republicans are not monolithic. You know, uh, Morgan is in favor of public schools, and he's trying to do the right thing. He was given this responsibility, <clears throat> pardon me, and he's trying to do a good job with it. Uh, and he's being stopped by, you know, the crazies. Um, and and they, they really are. It, it, I hate to be so pejorative about these guys, but it's hard to describe them in a way that isn't sort of cartoon villain-esque, you know, and they're, they're just awful. Um, who, I mean, how can you possibly look at the state of Texas public schools and say that it needs less money? So... You know, I think that's that's interesting. You look at how dysfunctional the Republican Party is today, and how overwhelming their power is in the state. And you know, my my question is, people like Joe Strauss and maybe uh, Morgan Meyer as well, uh, who are Republicans, how do they justify staying in a party that pushes forward some of the awful ideas led by Dan Patrick? That that has put Dan Patrick into that level of power. I think they see themselves as standing in the breach against the Dan Patrick's of the world. And I think they would tell you that abandoning the party means basically giving up on that, love, that resistance. Um, and so I don't agree with it. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Democrat, but um, they, I, if, if, if Joe Strauss and Morgan Meyer want to tell me that they are proud of having stopped the worst of the, of the bad legislation, then I'm I'm pretty much going to say thank you and buy him a beer. 
I guess, I, I, and that's something that a lot of people who have come into activism, into politics recently are struggling with because, you know, we, we are new to party politics. We're new to politics in general. And one thing that I think is really nice about focusing initially on local politics is it is officially nonpartisan, right? So now that's something that I think is, is interesting to talk about because it is officially nonpartisan. How nonpartisan is local politics in actuality? It really is. It really, really is. You know, and it's it's a joy for me. I'm campaigning right now. So if you're campaigning as a partisan Democrat or Republican, um, you can be, say I'm a Democrat, I can be friends all day long with Morgan Meyer and John Corona and David Dean um, and Harlan Crow and a bunch of Republicans. I, I, I can be friends with them all day long. I can work with them. I can, you know, I can have relationships and they will never give me one thin dime, and they will never let me use their name <laughs> as an endorsement. Well, guess what? With the exception of Morgan Meyer, I have all those endorsements, even though they know my position on LGBT equality. I have a track record. It's very progressive. They know that. But the reason I can remain nonpartisan, and the reason that politics on the local level is nonpartisan is because your damn water bill has nothing to do with partisan politics. It doesn't have a thing to do with it. And no one cares, you know? No one, I can be in, I can be the most progressive member of the Dallas City Council, which I think I can, I'll just arrogate that title to myself right now. Um, we can argue about it later. Um, and I can also be very proud of having cut your tax rate in this last budget cycle. When I say that I'm fiscally responsible, I can prove it. And that's something that in this upcoming election you're trying to build on as well, right? There's a little, uh, maybe not a little, there's a, a, a significant uh, more progressive uh, coalition or maybe uh, group that's, that's forming on the city council. Well, I think that's true. Um, I'm, hopeful that, I'm hopeful to see some challengers be successful this cycle. Um, that's not because I need somebody to be a rubber stamp for my agenda. I supported Mark Clayton uh, in District 9 last cycle, and he won. That's, that was an open seat, and he, he won. And Mark Clayton and I are good friends. We do see things the same way in a lot of ways. But anybody who wants to can use the city's new voting record portal on the city secretary's website to research my record or Mark's or anybody else's, and you can com compare them side by side. And where can they find that? Uh, the, the easiest way to do it is Google Dallas City Council voting record. It, there's not an obvious link on the city secretary's website, but if you Google that, that it'll be the first result. Well, and that's something that I think is really interesting because um, when I've heard you speak anyway, before- Anyway, I was just gonna finish the thought. Yeah. Mark doesn't vote with me every time. I don't back people who are going to be a rubber stamp for my agenda. I back people who are independent thinkers who will support neighbors. And that doesn't mean we agree all the time. And that's a difference between me and the mayor. The mayor tries to run people like Monica Alonso, who is very reliable. I mean, frankly, you can get her vote by buying it if you want to. Um, and and he's, he's not trying to find the best person for the job. He's trying to find the person that he can control. And so, you know, the morning news constantly tries to make this some kind of false equivalence between what he's doing and what I'm doing. What I'm doing is trying to support independent thought 
and neighbors and neighborhood quality of life and people who are for those principles of neighborhood self-determination and improving our neighborhood quality of life and investing in neighborhood infrastructure, those are the people I'm gonna support every time. And someone like Monica Alonzo, who sells out her neighbors and sells her vote to the highest bidder, that's a person who doesn't need to be in government. Frankly, she doesn't need to be in charge of anything, you know? And for, for the mayor to be, you know, paying for her campaign consultant and raising her hundreds of thousands of dollars, it's disgusting. It is absolutely disgusting. Her corruption becomes his corruption. There is no separation between those two anymore. And he can't get that stink off him. And when you're talking about that type of, you know, old boys club type of corruption, what is the most efficient way, what is the most effective way to, to end that? Look, voters are smart. They really are. They're not always smart on every issue, but collectively over time, they're smart and they learn. And if you go meet with a candidate and you ask tough questions, and you get direct answers, and you feel sincerity, you know you're on the right track. You know? If you go and you get platitudes, aphorisms, metaphors, bullshit, stay away from that person. Voters are smart enough to do this. If they're not, then the, the basic assumption of democracy is false, and we've all been fooling ourselves for 200 years. But you've run two campaigns, so you believe that that is actually true. I believe in the voters. Yeah. Um, now, I will say that I believe that the voters get exactly what they deserve. It's not that voters never make mistakes, um, but they get exactly what they deserve. If, the, if voters define success on their own terms and then vote for people that vindicate those principles, how are you going to argue with them? I want to go back to this uh, transparency idea. Um, so one thing that a lot of cities, a lot of municipalities, a problem that they have is with transparency, obviously. It's something that, that has been a problem for, for the entire history of this country. Um, now, with when I look up your voting records, what's the lag time? Like, How soon can I know how you voted so that I can actually use that information? They're updating it weekly. So if you have a meeting, I can see it the next week? Yes. Okay. Now, you've always been able to go and pull the minutes of the meeting to see voting records, but that's incredibly cumbersome and clunky, and nobody did it, which is why I, along with some of my colleagues, forced the city secretary to start putting it on a website that is searchable and comparable. Um, because transparency isn't just about access to the information, it's about ease of access to the information. If the information's accessible, but, but it's cumbersome to get to it, nobody's going to do it. Now, I want people to see how I vote. I'm extremely proud of my voting record. I don't think I've gotten one wrong yet. Um, so time will tell. I mean, I, 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 I could be convinced otherwise, but I'm, I'm extremely proud of my voting record and I want to show it off. That was, I mean, that's, that's part of my theory is that if people know what I've done, if they can see what I've done, they're going to like me more. Going back to, you know, you ran for the first time four years ago. Um, you're in your third, uh, third election right now. So a lot of people throughout this country, throughout North Texas, are running for the first time. Uh, they're trying to find a way to contribute. Uh, so for a first-time candidate who's running somewhere at a local race, in a local race, uh, in the May 6 elections, uh, what's your advice to them? Uh, call me. <laughs> it's uh, the, 
the basic advice is this. We do nothing worthwhile alone. Nothing worth doing is easy. Um, and there are two kinds of people in politics. People who want to be somebody and people who want to do something. You should always be in the latter category. Um, the political office, it, it, we had a little discussion about this before we started recording. The thing that I hate most about political office is the pretense and the, the ceremony and people insisting on using titles and all the self-importance that goes along with it. Self-importance is almost the central problem of all politicians, is you get, you get the big head, you get self-important, you start making bad decisions because you think you know better than, than your voters. And you don't, <laughs> and they will eventually tell you otherwise. So if you focus on, a first-time candidate should remember, if you focus on doing right, Sam, I think Sam Houston said, do right and risk the consequences. I, I think if you focus on making sure that you're doing right as opposed to getting into office, um, now you got you to do a little focus on how do you connect to voters, what do they want to hear, how do you get into the polls, all that stuff. But if your overall focus is here are the things I want to accomplish, people are going to be attracted to the things you want to accomplish. Some, okay, there are some people who are naturally very pretty or very attractive in other ways, um, who speak really well and who can win people over because of their aspects of their personality. Um, not all of us are blessed that way. I, what I try to do is talk to people in a way that makes them, that convinces them that I'm not holding anything back. And I try to focus on doing the right thing. And that sounds very simple, but doing the right thing, especially in a complicated society that we live in, means you have to know a lot of details about how things work. Um, and you have to understand the effect, the practical effect of the policies you advocate. It's, it takes way more work than people understand. It's very easy to stand up and say, I'm for this, I'm against this. If your reasoning process hasn't been sufficiently developed that you understand the practical effect of what you're advocating, you're going to screw up. Well, Philip, you are actually my congress or uh, councilman, um, and I've I block walked for you. Thank you. Um, and, I think uh, I gave you a T-shirt. It did. I, I have it at home. Um, so this is a, this is like a quid pro quo. <laughs> this, this is this is corruption at its worst. I gave you a T-shirt. You put me on a podcast at its worst. Yeah, there's nothing. I mean, it is a really nice T-shirt. Uh, you're absolutely <laughs> right. It's very comfortable. It's it was definitely worth the block walk. Um, but I would, uh, I, you know, I would encourage everyone to find out more about Philip. Uh, Philip, if they want to find out more about you, where can they go? Uh, 214-642-1707. That's my cell phone number. It rings on my actual cell phone. I only have one. Um, I want everybody to use that number because that is how I do my job. If I know what's important to people, I can vindicate their principles. Um, uh, City Hall, philip.kingston at dallascityhall.com, just one L in Philip. Um, that is the fastest way to access city services in the city of Dallas. It's better than 311. It's, it's, I mean, it's, if you're married to a police officer, I promise I can do, I can be faster than that guy. Um, and if you want to get involved in the campaign, that is kingstonfordallas.com. We would be extremely happy to have your name on the endorsement list. People underestimate the value of their names. 
So we would love to have your name on the endorsement list. Um, I would love to have your vote, and I would very much love to have your money. Um, that's not because I'm greedy or need it for my own purposes. It's because um, a group of very powerful people led by the mayor is raising hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to kick me out of this seat because they're upset at all of their um, vile schemes that I have uh, thwarted. And so it's also important, which part of Dallas do you represent? I represent a gerrymandered district um, that was rigged to produce a white progressive uh, representative, which it has reliably done ever since it was first drawn 30 years ago. Um, it is the neighborhoods along Greenville Avenue. It is the historic districts running east out to uh, Hollywood Santa Monica. It is all of Uptown, all of Turtle Creek, most of Oaklawn, and most of downtown. All right. Thank you very much for joining us today. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Indivisible DFW podcast. If you liked what you heard, then please subscribe. Um, you can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, also write a review if you like it. Uh, you could follow us uh, on Twitter. It's DFW Indivisible. Facebook, facebook.com slash Indivisible DFW. We also have Instagram, Indivisible DFW. And you can find our website, IndivisibleDFW.org. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day.